All right, amen. Well, it's good to be here. Second Peter tonight, Second Peter. A wise old preacher told me one time when I was just in college, told a bunch of us preacher boys, he said, don't run off them old people. They're the ones who pay your bills. He was right, amen. I'm in the 50 bracket, so don't run me off, amen. Be nice to me. <laughs> Second Peter tonight, chapter 1. Well, we got our last one graduated. Jay had a party last night. Some of y'all were there. I appreciate you being good to him, amen. Some of you are very good to my family, been good to us. I sure appreciate it. Second Peter 1, I was reading in my Bible one day. I usually do it more than once a day or, or one a day every, every now and then. I read it, but uh, that was a joke. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I was reading one day and I felt like the Lord, I was in this text. And the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart about several verses in here and I just began to look at it and try to study it and and uh, Lord, let me write a few things down and try to give them to you tonight. Amen. Normally, I'd preach some kind of a revival type message. That's usually what I'm used to, being in evangelism. But uh, just going to kind of go down through here in the scripture. and We'll look at that. First Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers uh, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We'll touch on that, but my goodness, there's so much preaching there, amen. In verse five, the Bible said, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Boy, I like that statement. He said in verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for the great privilege it is to be at church tonight. Lord, for letting us be at a, a place that we love being at, Lord, and the wonderful music, young people singing, dear Father, the young couples singing, the congregational, just been good to be in the house of the Lord today. Father, I pray now for a little while you'd help me as I try to preach this Bible. Lord, as a dying man to dying people, and I need the help and power of the Holy Ghost. I pray it makes sense and be a help and a blessing to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter. I don't know a, 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 a lot of history, but I'll give you just a little bit. The epistle is written uh, approximately 33 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And uh, so it's not really been very long since the Lord's been gone and the churches have been started. Of course, we call it the New Testament church. And Peter most likely uh, uh, understands that his time is short before he'll become a martyr for Christ. If you would look over at uh, 2 Peter 1, look at verses 13 and 14 right there. He said this, he said, Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up, amen, by putting, he said, by putting you in remembrance, amen. So it's good to hear things preached over again, amen. He said, verse 14, he said, knowing that shortly, he said, I must put off this tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. So I believe that Peter, dear friend, knew that it was not gonna be very long that he was going to become that martyr for Christ. And most likely, uh, before this takes place, he sees the corruption that's in the church. And he sees the apostasy that's already in a short time crept in the church. Now, I, I thought about that, and I put my head around that for a little bit, and I thought, my goodness, it's only been 33 years, approximately. 33 years when this is being written after the death of Christ. And Peter's already talking about the corruption and the apostasy that is in the church. And, and, and my thinking would be, man, the church would be on fire. There'd be great, great revival taking place. And there was some great things taking place at that time. But still, even though that was happening, there's great corruption taking place and apostasy in the church. And I'm thinking, my goodness, if it was that bad 33 years after the, after the Lord left, what's it like today? Here we are 2,000 plus years, amen. And we're not preaching about that tonight, but goodness gracious, we could preach about it. And then in 2 Peter, look at 2 Peter 2, uh, uh, verses 1 and 2, he talks about it. He said, there are false prophets also among the people, even as there also, he said, there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord uh, uh, that, that, that bought them. We're talking about... Just a few years after, I mean, it ain't been long and there's already people denying the Lord. Uh, and, and preachers talking about this morning how there's a crowd of people out there that's teaching people how to, you know, get away from old time religion, get away from their salvation, get away from their roots. I mean, it's been happening for over 2,000 years. You understand? He said, and bring them themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Look at here. It was happening then, still happening now. And therefore, in chapter one, he speaks to the brethren how God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness and how they can escape uh, the corruption and have an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I'd like to be one of them. Hallelujah. And I'd like to be one that can escape that corruption and uh, have an abundant entrance into the eternal, eternal kingdom of God. And by the way, the Bible does tell us that he gives us a way of escape. Amen? From that temptation. But it shows us how powerful and up-to-date and alive the word of God is today. All you got to do is look around. And uh, you can see the ungodliness and the corruption that is in the world and the church today. So the subject of Peter, you read about Peter, the subject of Peter is last things. You got eternal kingdom, you got in Peter, you got the second coming, you got the judgment of the wicked, and you got the day of the Lord. But we want tonight, just for a little while, to look at the Christian life leading up to uh, the eternal kingdom. Let's go to verse number one. The Bible said, Simon Peter, a servant, uh, uh, he said, and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith uh, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So he said there, he said to them that have obtained like precious faith. Who's that talking about? That's us, amen. Yes. 
That's anybody that's been saved since that day. Hallelujah. And he said this. He said they obtained that like precious faith through the righteousness of who? That's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I mean, every one of us here know tonight that if you are saved, you obtain that salvation, that righteousness through one person. Jesus Christ. So we find that he is God and our Savior in 2 Peter 1.1. He's our Lord and Savior, 2 Peter 1.11. And he is the Lord and Savior, 2 Peter 2.20. So in order to be our Savior, he had to give his life on the cross. This ain't nothing new, but a little introduction. He had to give his life on the cross and die for the sins of the world. That's why. Because Jesus died for us, that's why we have obtained like precious faith. In other words, if it wasn't for Jesus, there would be no precious faith, you understand? There would be no salvation. So there's no difference between us and the apostles in the area of salvation. Well, ain't that good? They got saved just like you and I got saved. Or I should say, we got saved just like they got saved, amen? They trusted in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? We have, he said, we have obtained like precious faith, amen? So it's the same. So because of faith, uh, we have received the righteousness of God. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. And you are given a right standing before God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible said that we might be made, he said, the righteousness of God in him. So in other words, you could never, you can never earn his righteousness or this kind of righteousness. The only way you can get it is from the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. So that's for those that believe. So if you're not saved tonight, you don't have this. You're not saved tonight. You don't have this like precious faith, amen? And then, and then I like what he said in verse number two. He said, grace and peace be multiplied. If you look up that word multiplied, it means increased in numbers. It means numerous. In other words, he said, grace and peace be multiplied. In other words, that's an increased numerous amount of grace and peace. You know how you get that? It comes from the knowledge of God. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in other words, dear friend, try to imagine yourself not knowing God. No salvation, you understand? No, 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 no grace, no peace. The Bible plainly said down in verse two, because that we have this like precious faith in verse one, verse two, he says this, he said, now grace and peace has been multiplied unto you. In other words, we have a numerous amount of grace and peace in our life. Why? Because we got saved. The world don't have that. You understand? There's no grace and peace multiplied to the world. So in other words, if you had never got saved, can you just imagine how life would be? Be a miserable life. It'd be like the world out there today. I mean, God in his mercy does not give us what we do deserve. God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. Therefore, we have peace with God. With God. Now, the world has no grace. The world has no peace if, uh, because they have no knowledge of God. Here's what the Bible said over there about the world and the wicked. He said in verse uh, Isaiah 48, 22, he said, there is no peace, saith the Lord, under the wicked. Their lives are full of trouble. If it was not for Jesus Christ, our lives would be just like theirs. 
We would not be sitting in the house of God tonight, amen, listening to the great singing of our children, hallelujah, and the wonderful music we've heard tonight and shouting and having a good time in the house of the Lord. We would not have been here this morning and heard the great preaching we heard this morning and the good music and the great fellowship. You know what that is? That's grace and that's peace and that's mercy. And we got it because of uh, we have a like precious faith, amen, because we got saved, hallelujah. And, and, and our, the world's life is full of trouble, full of heartache, and they're searching for peace. And they try to search for it in pleasure, and they search for it in sin, and every single day they find no peace. There's no peace, dear friend. The only thing they find is regret. I mean, they run from this sin to that sin. They run from this pleasure to that pleasure. Let's go buy this. Let's go have this. Maybe if I go here, I'll have peace. Maybe if I get involved with this girl or this guy. Maybe if I run to this party. Maybe if I do this. They're constantly looking for peace. And here we sit tonight. Who cares, amen? We're saved on our way to heaven, hallelujah. We've obtained light, precious faith. And the grace and peace in our life is numerous. It's multiplied. I say to you, dear friend, then in verse three, he said this. He said in verse three, he said, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. He said, he given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Hear me. Everything, because you got saved, because I got saved, everything we have, amen, everything that has been given to us is because of that salvation. All the things we have in life, all the things we have in godliness, whatever they may be, it's because the Bible plainly says in verse three, according to his divine power, he has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I'll give you a few. In other words, under the column life, you have joy. I come from God. Under the column godliness, you got grace and peace. Under life, you got happiness. Under godliness, you got Holy Spirit. Under life, you got family. Under godliness, you got salvation. Under life, you got home. Under godliness, you have eternal life. Under life, you have material things. Under godliness, you have a heavenly rewards. Under life, you got food and water. Under godliness, you got the word of God. And can I say to you, the list can go on and on and on of anything that you have in your life because everything you have in your life has been given to you, dear friend, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we got it all through Jesus. It's, uh, and it goes on to say, it says down there, it says, and the life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us. In other words, dear friend, can I say to you, it came from him because you remember the day when he called you. You remember the day when the Holy Ghost of God was dealing with your heart and you got under conviction, hey man, and you came and you trusted Christ. Man, you didn't realize how good it was gonna be, did you? You didn't realize how much grace and mercy you was gonna get. You didn't realize all the joy and all the blessings and, and the goodness. Now, let me say to you, that's not, that's not talking about a prosperity gospel. That's just talking about the benefits that you and I get because we're saved. Well, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I trusted Jesus Christ. Amen, let's go to verse four. He said in verse four, he said, whereby are given unto us exceeding, great and precious promises. Now, we don't have time tonight to preach on all the promises in the word of God. We don't have time tonight to talk about all the things that God has promised us. But can I say to you, the Bible uses the phrase here, exceeding great. 
Now, if God says it's exceeding great, it's exceedingly great, amen? He said exceeding great precious promises, and he also goes on to say that we are partakers, and I'll give you some things we're partakers of. We're partakers of Christ in Hebrews 3.14, partakers of the Holy Ghost in Hebrews 6.4, partakers of God's divine nature, 1 Peter 1.4. Partakers of his holiness, Hebrews 12.10. Partakers of a heavenly calling, Hebrews 3.1. Partakers of Christ's suffering, 1 Peter 4.13. Partakers of the afflictions of the gospel, 2 Timothy 1.8. Partakers of chastisement, Hebrews 12.8. You say, well, I don't like chastisement. Well, I'm glad whenever he whips me. That means I'm his child, amen? Partakers of grace, Philippians 1.7. Partakers of consolation, 2 Corinthians 1.7. Partakers of glory, 1 Peter 5.1. Partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Colossians 1.12. I mean, it could go on and on. But the Bible said we are partakers of the divine nature. I say to you, dear friend, God has given us so much, all because of way back in verse number one where he said, we've obtained like precious faith. Because of the great promises... Because of the, let me just read verse four again. He said, whereby are given unto us exceeding great precious promises, that by these. What? What's these? The promises. Ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having, listen, watch this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So because of the great promises and, and, and that we are partakers of that promise, The Bible says we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, all that I am a part of has helped me escape the salvation that I enjoy, the the, the like precious faith that I received. uh, It has helped me escape the filthy, lustful sins of the world. Where would we be tonight had we not got saved? Can I say to you that the majority of you probably would not be sitting in church tonight. Those of you that's got good families and raising your children for the Lord in the house of God, you probably would not be doing that tonight. Amen. And I say to you, those of you that have kept the corruption out of your home, kept the corruption out of your life, you have escaped all that heartache and all that trials and all the filth of the world. I'm talking about where your kids are going to the world and getting involved in filthy sin and the divorces. And if you've had that, I'm sorry, I'm not pouring salt in an open wound, but there's all kinds of corruption and all kinds of heartache out there from sin. God's saying this, hey, because you've gotten saved, you've escaped that. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad I'm saved. Thank the Lord. Amen. Look at verse five. Now we're going to change gears a little bit here. And he's given us some things in verses one through four. You understand you're saved. You understand you're partakers of Christ. You understand that you got all the grace and peace. And you understand that God's kept you safe from all the ungodliness and the filth. And he says this. Now, verse five. And beside this. In other words, meaning over and above. Everything that has already been mentioned. In other words, you understand you're saved. You understand you got all kinds of blessings on your life. And it's because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Now, besides that, he says, everything that has already been mentioned. In other words, everything I've told you, you already know what you have in verses 1 through 4. He says, now I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Look what he says in verse 5. He said, beside this... Giving, giving, very important church. He said, giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. Here's what that means. That means constant effort 
Are you hearing me? This is where most Christians fail at. Constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken. He said, I'm going I'm to give you some things that you got to do, and you need to give diligence to it. That means constantly trying to do this and undertake this is something that you have to do. So he tells us in verse number five, here's what he says. He said, beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now he started the letter out in verse number one, speaking of our precious faith, and now he's saying this. Are you listening? He's saying there's more to the Christian life than just faith. God said in his Bible over here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he said we are commanded, he teaches us that we are commanded to add to our faith. Let me give you another scripture. Philippians 2, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not talking about working for your salvation. That's talking about working out your salvation which goes right along with 1 Peter, dear friend, over here in verse number five. And so uh, let me say it this way. A baby shares the nature of its mother and father, and a person that's saved and born again shares the divine nature of God. The lost sinner is dead, but the Christian is alive because of what he or she is in Christ. Therefore, because you are saved, we add or supply generously. In other words, we build on our Christianity that we may honor our Lord. There is a deceived group of people out there in this world today, and we can name you all kinds of them, that think all they have to do is trust Christ. And they're not required to do anything else. I'll give you one of them, the grace walk crowd. Say, what's that? Oh, they think they're under grace. They got saved under grace. Now they can do anything they want to because they're under grace. They don't know their Bible. There, there's uh, the crowd preacher was talking about this morning. There's the ecumenical crowd. There's, and the list goes on. And, and they sound like the lost when they say, judge not lest you be judged. I was mentioning this morning. And, and they're most likely lost because it seems there's no proof of Christ in them. Here's why. Listen, because there's no growth in Christianity. At salvation, they begin their Christianity and there they stay. They never grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what God said. Add to your faith. It is not spiritual to just stay the same. Because the Bible plainly teaches us to add to our faith. And God gives us a list of seven things in the word of God, which I believe is a number of perfection. So I've titled this message, A glorious Christian. Here's how we be a glorious Christian. Let's look at them. They're real simple. Verse number five. He said this. He said, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. First one, virtue, number one. Virtue is this. It's strength, bravery, moral excellence. That's the first thing God says he wants us to add to our faith. So as soon as you get saved, you know what God begins to do? He begins to deal with your morality. He begins to deal with your flesh because your flesh is naturally wicked. Your flesh is naturally immoral. And and therefore, it will take bravery and strength to die to your flesh and add to your faith virtue, moral excellence. There's some of you that maybe you drank before you got saved. Wasn't it amazing that after you got saved, all of a sudden, I shouldn't be drinking that. Some of you cussed before you got saved. Isn't it amazing once you got saved, you started thinking, man, I shouldn't be talking like that. 
Some of you look at things you weren't supposed to look at. And all of a sudden, whenever you got saved, you go, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. I'm not supposed to be listening to that music. I'm not supposed to be dressing that way. I'm not supposed to be going. You know what that is? That's virtue. That's the Holy Ghost of God dealing with you in the very first thing that he wants you to deal with after salvation. He said, add to your faith virtue. Let me say to you, dear friend, uh, uh, a good illustration. The land that produces crops is excellent because it is fulfilling its purpose. The tool that works correctly is excellent because it is doing what a tool is supposed to do. And when a Christian is glorifying God, are you hearing me? When a Christian is glorifying God, he or she is excellent because he or she is working out God's divine nature that is within them. In other words, they are adding to their faith. What are they adding? Virtue. You can forget the next six if you can't get this one down. So it begins with faith. You got saved. You're on your way to heaven. Don't stop there. Once a person has faith in Christ, because of that faith, they will understand why they need to add the virtue. And faith helps us develop virtue. There's no virtue in people that have no faith. People that have no faith don't understand virtue. That's why you can talk to a lost person that's not, uh, that has no virtue. You can say, hey, that's not right to do. And they look at you like you're stupid. What are you talking about? You can forget it. They're not going to get it. not going to understand it. Just like you didn't. Amen. I mean, we look at them people down on the beach and say, how in the world can they walk around naked like that? That's just vile and ungodly. Some of us did it before we were saved. They have no virtue. But whenever you got saved, whenever that faith came, that, you know what happened? You add to your faith virtue. The second thing is, look at verse 5. He said, beside this given diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Knowledge is a clear and certain perception of that which exists, of truth and fact. Knowledge that is growing. You're getting that. Knowledge is something growing. Knowledge is is understanding virtue. In other words, let me say it this way. When a person gets saved, they didn't understand salvation, but when they got saved, they understood salvation, right? Right? But would you agree with me that when they got saved, they probably didn't understand a lot about baptism. And then, they, and then they understood it. And they probably didn't understand a lot about the King James Bible. And they probably didn't understand a lot about the local church. And they didn't understand church faithfulness and tithing and offerings and moral separation and ecclesiastical separation and standards and convictions and doctrine. And you know what that is? That's knowledge that is growing. Amen. So in other words, when a person gets saved, they get saved and then they're taught they got to get baptized. Oh, they understand it and they get baptized and they get taught things like what the King James Bible is and what the local church is and the faithfulness. And oh, I'm supposed to tithe? Yes, we're supposed to tithe. And they do it and they give offerings and they give the missions and they give the help and it just begins to grow and grow and grow. They don't understand all the things. And Don't expect somebody that just got saved, walk in the door, amen, preach or baptize them. Don't expect them to be the kind of Christian you are. Because they have to grow. They have to add to that salvation if you would. They got to add the virtue. They got to add the knowledge. I remember one time at Parkview Baptist Church in Michigan. I was up there trying to minister to the Yankees, amen, for a long time. But anyways, don't get, I felt that. Some of you Yankees in here, I felt that. There was a fellow that got saved. And uh, he's a great guy. He got saved and uh, had long hair, preacher. Long hair down here. He got saved and he came to church every time the doors were opened. 
He came Sunday school, Sunday morning. His name was Lewis. Amen, Brother Lewis. Anyway, he came Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And for several months, probably over a year, long hair. And one day I was in the back of the church and he come walking in and I went, is that Lewis? You know what happened? Got him a haircut, looked like a man, sharp. You say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. He started growing in virtue, started growing in knowledge. He started understanding what a Christian was. And I say to you, dear friend, this kind of knowledge does not come automatically. It comes from the word of God. The Bible said in Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. It also comes from obedience to the will of God. John 7, 17, hear the word of God, church. It said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. You don't stay the same. You don't get saved and stay the same. You add to your faith, virtue, knowledge. Look at the third one, verse six. He said, knowledge, temperance. Temperance meaning moderation, calmness, self-control. That'd be in any area of your life. Let me give you a good example. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They showed temperance. They showed self-control when the king, his meat and his wine was placed before them and they refused to be defiled. They showed that self-control whenever he told them they had to bow down, amen, to his idol. They didn't get irate, act stupid and all kinds of stuff and fall on their face and start crying, oh dear God in heaven, what are we gonna do? No, they showed that temperance, that self-control. And I say to you, dear friend, they refused to be defiled. They refused to sin. I'll give you a bad example. Saul, he could not control his jealousy. He could not control his pride. King David, Messed up, involved in sin, got in adultery, his lust, dear friend. Can I say to you, self-control over your spirit. The Bible said in Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city uh, that is broken down without walls. And when Satan places sin before us, what kind of self-control do we show? Do we indulge in it, church? Hey, do we refuse it? Uh, are we like a city that is broken down with no walls uh, where any kind of devil can come to you any time of the day and destroy you at his own will? And I say to you, dear friend, uh, uh, that's how we were before we got saved. Before you got saved, Satan would come and tempt you with something and you just do it because your flesh wanted to do it. You didn't have any virtue. You didn't have any knowledge. You didn't have any faith. And you sure didn't have any temperance. But for a Christian... You say, I'm saved, preacher. Okay, add to it. Add to your salvation. You must die to your flesh. You see, the Bible said in Galatians 5, 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The lost man will indulge in sin with no moderation, no self-control. That is not the testimony of a saved person. So he said, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance. Look at the next one. He said down there in verse six, And to temperance, patience. Well, we all just got nailed. (laughs) The suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or other evil, here it is, with a calm, unruffled temper, endurance without murmuring or fretfulness. Dear God, I may as well get on my face right now. (laughs) Boy, I need help. Self-control is to handle the pleasures of life, but patience 
is to handle the problems of life. This patience that we're talking about is not just patience with people or situations that arise, but also the suffering of afflictions that we may suffer with patience as a Christian. It would be wonderful if the Christian life was a life of no problems, no heartaches. But that is not the case, nor will it be that way until we get to heaven or the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is going to take patience to endure the sufferings and afflictions. Let me give you the Bible. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now, friend, I can take James 1 over there in verses 2 through 4, and I can bring it over here to 2 Peter because this is God trying to teach us how to be a perfect Christian. He's trying to teach us how to be a glorious Christian. This is how we can abound. Dear friend, this is how we can not be barren if you would. And then the Bible over here says, hey, let patience have her perfect work. That you may be what? Perfect. I say to you, dear friend, it's going to come from patience. Romans 5, 3 says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. He says, 2 Corinthians 6, 4, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Now listen, we live in a demonic world. The Bible said in Ephesians 6, 12, he said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, because we are constantly fighting against the evil powers of darkness, there's going to be afflictions. There's going to be necessities and distresses. They're going to come. So God says this, add to your faith, patience. Let me say something to you. The reason there's a lot of people that do not want to be the separated, sold out servant for the Lord Jesus Christ is because there is a real devil that makes their life hard. And they look at the world and it's easier to go the world's route, they think. But it's not easier. Because if you look at the end of their life, it's not easier. I would rather, dear friend, try to learn the patience that God wants me to learn. Too many want to quit at the sight of a little affliction or suffering. And God said, add to your faith, add to your faith. In other words, don't stay the same. There are so many people today in our churches today that are saved and they're on their way to heaven, but they have not added to their faith. And God said, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience. Look down at the end of verse six. He said, godliness. A religious life, that's what godliness is. A careful observance of the laws of God and performance of religious duties, proceeding from the love and reverence for the divine character and commands. Christian obedience is godliness. Godliness is a deep, reverential, religious fear. The man who is right with God and his fellow man, that's godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, the Bible said, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And, you know, there's a lot of people that love this verse, but for bodily exercise profiteth little. It does profit though. But godliness is profitable unto all things. He seeks, a person that is godly is one that seeks to do the will of God and the welfare of of others. Do you get that? 
A person that is godly is seeking to do the will of God and help the welfare of others. A godly person will make decisions based on what pleases God, not what pleases their flesh. He or she does what is right because it is right and because it is the will of God. This is godliness. 1 Timothy 6, 6, the Bible said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness. The question can be asked about the things that are in our life. Whatever it may be, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, is it godly? Is this social media I'm involved in godly? Or is it full of nakedness and gossip and anger and filth? And Is what I'm watching godly? Is what I'm listening to godly? Is how I'm dressing godly? You see how that godliness? Is how I'm living? Is it godly? Add to your faith. He said add Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. Look at the next one. Verse 7. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Now let me say this. Brotherly kindness is act of goodwill, benevolence, the temper or disposition which delights in contributing. I like this. Which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. You know what the Bible says? It's more blessed to give than receive. Which is exercised, in other words, brother kindness, which is exercised cheerfully and gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants or alleviating their distresses. That's brotherly kindness. You know what most commentaries want to make this brotherly love? I read some commentaries on this and I thought, you know what? Preacher reads a bunch of commentaries on something and they try to challenge and see what they say. I got, I got reading this one and reading this one and reading it. And I say, these guys don't know what they're talking about. I ain't wrote no books, but I'm smarter than that. You know what I choose to believe, preacher? I just choose to believe what God said. God didn't call it brotherly love. God called it brotherly kindness. And I say to you, dear friend, why, uh, uh, um, I mean, he, he called, let me, let me get right where I was at. Uh, just, uh, you follow, the reason I believe he meant kindness is because following brotherly love, I'm sorry, following brotherly kindness is charity. So why would he say brotherly love and then charity? No, he meant brotherly kindness, Amen. So just like you would take care of the brother you love, you do the same thing for others. You know, now I'm going to say that. The only place in Scripture that you will find the phrase brotherly kindness is in 2 Peter 1.7. The only time. This is not talking about only kindness to brothers in Christ. Now hear me. Because none of these things that's in this list are toward one sect of people. They're not toward one group of people. Instead, these things that are in this list is for the world to see Christ in you and me. That's why God said, be kind, have brotherly kindness. Why would he say that? Why would he put that in the list of seven things? Well, I believe because he knew it was hard for some. But also, I believe the world sees your kindness. And when they see your kindness, they see Christ. 
So God says in this Bible, and I know I'm just hitting these and going, but add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness. Let's look at the last one. He says down there, he says, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Charity is the affectionate, benevolent love. There is, there's much in the scripture about loving one another and loving the brethren, but there's one place that says it clear as can be. 1 Corinthians 13, let's go to it. 1 Corinthians 13, hold your place in 1 Peter or 2 Peter, I'm sorry. Let me read this to you. Have you ever just read this chapter, this small little chapter, and just think about the words? Charity. God said, add to your faith charity. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. In other words, you know how to talk. And have not charity. I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Go out there and get you some brass and just bang on it. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am what? Nothing. Boy, that guy over there, he sure does have a lot of faith that God can do something. Yeah, but he's mean as the devil. He ain't got no charity. God says, you're nothing. He said, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned. I mean, this guy's giving his food away. He's, giving his, he's dying. He's being a martyr. I give my body to be burned and have not charity. Profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is what? Kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never what? Faileth. But where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Skip down to verse 13. And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is what? charity. So God says this. He says, hey, in verses 1 through 4, he says, you know what? You got like precious faith. You got saved just like the apostles got saved. Because you got saved, that grace and peace has been multiplied unto you. You got the knowledge of God and Jesus in your heart. God's given you divine things and all kinds of things that pertain to life and godliness. And God's blessed you with all kinds of stuff. He's kept you from the corruption of the world. Now that you've got that salvation, I want you to add to your faith. Gives you those seven things, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly love. I'm sorry, brotherly kindness, charity. Now let me move on. Look at verse 8. This is what got my heart right here. This got a hold of me. For if these things be in you, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the proof of a growing Christian is? They're not barren and they're fruitful in the knowledge of God. That is a promise. You know what barren means? Barren means not producing. It also means unproductive and unmeaning it means you're idle. It also means you're ineffective. The people who fail to grow in the knowledge of the Lord usually fail in everything else. 
So God saved us, verses 1 through 4. And then God says this, I'm going to give you seven things that's going to help you add to that faith that I gave you. I gave you salvation, now you're going to add to it. And the reason you're going to add to it is because it's going to help you grow as a Christian. And the reason you're going to do these things is so that you're not barren and unfruitful. Do you know why we have so many churches across this land that are barren and unfruitful? Because they're not doing these seven things right here. Now, you may not notice it as much because you don't travel like myself, like Preacher does, and like some others do. But dear friend, you can just look at some of the churches you've been to and some of the Christians that you're around. And I say to you, the life of the church today, I mean the church today, I hate to say it, but many are dry, they're barren, they're unfruitful. They need fire. Fruitful means very productive, plenteous, abounding in everything. And if these seven things are abounding in you, they are fruitful because they are faithful. They are effective because they are growing in their Christian experience. We have very few churches today that are abounding in the knowledge and the things of God that are growing in Christianity. I'm talking about they're winning souls to Christ. There's revival taking place, friend. The baptism of waters are moving all the time. Their Sunday schools, their churches are growing. And I say it's very few. And the reason is, is because they're not productive. Because they're not doing what God said to do. Look at verse 9. The Bible said, but he that lacketh these things. What things is he talking about? He's talking about the seven things that he gave you. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. He said, he that lacketh these things, watch what it says, is what? Blind. You know what the Bible said in Revelation 3, 17? It said, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched Miserable, poor, and what? Blind. God help us. He that lacketh these things, according to the Bible, cannot see afar off. In other words, church, they're short-sighted. They don't, let me say this, hear me now. They don't see how bad they are. Because they have no vision for the things of God. The Bible said, he that lacketh these things is blind. He cannot see afar off. He, it, 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 in other words, dear friend, uh, um, he that lacketh these things, he went on to say this, hath forgotten, listen to this, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Every one of y'all probably knows somebody that used to serve the Lord. They used to be in church faithfully. Preacher talked about one this morning, shouting, amen? Not even in church today. You know why? Because he wasn't doing these things that God told him to do. He wasn't adding to his faith. There's all kinds of people out there that are away from God because they're not adding to their faith. The Bible said, he that lacketh these things hath what? Forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. In other words, church, they forgot what God did for them. They forgot about the great day they got saved. Therefore, they don't, they, they don't serve the Lord. They're not adding to their faith. They're not growing in Christianity. And they sure ain't telling anybody else about him because they lack these things. They're blind. They're short-sighted. They're forgetful. They forgot they got saved, dear friend. And they're unfruitful. Verse 8 promised, it promised, it promised that you would not be barren, but you would be fruitful if you abound in these seven things. Now look at verse 10. Wherefore, the rather brethren, 
Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy and slothful about these things. He said, be diligent. He said, work at it every day it's, it, 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 of your life. He said, for if you do, look what it says in verse number 10. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. He, he didn't say you might not fall. He said, you shall never fall. I guarantee you, preacher, you tell me if I'm wrong. I guarantee you, anybody that got out of the church, quit serving God, did not have these things in their life. God said, you shall never fall. We got enough of those that have been called to salvation and the work of God that are barren and fallen to the sins of the world. And the reason is they're not doing these things. In verse 11, dear friend, we'll get there in a minute, but I don't know about you. I don't want to be one of those that fall. Hey, mom and daddy, you want to raise kids for God? Get these in your life. Look at here. You get the number one thing down there, virtue in your life, that'd help a lot right there. We've got to do all seven of them. But you can't have the world in your home and expect to raise kids for God. Now, I'm not the example, but I do have people coming to me and asking me about my children. What'd you do, brother Jason? I thought everything out that had to do with the world. There's enough world in me to mess up everything. I don't need any other help. I thought it all out. TV, internet, music, magazines, that even if it's got a bad picture, it don't come to my house. Gone, gone. I don't want it there. You say, well, how much can I allow? Depends on how much chance you want to take at losing them. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. Let me give you this real quick and we'll be done. Verse 11. I like this right here. If we do these things, he said we're not going to fall, and watch what it says in verse 11. I have a hard time understanding this because it's hard to know what it's going to be like. He said, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. He didn't say the church. That's personal. He said, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's personal. The more of these seven moral things that we attain, the more abundant will be our entrance. I don't know exactly how that's going to be. But dear friend, uh, I know the Bible said in Matthew 25, 21, he said, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And, and dear friend, that's the entrance you're coming into. He said in Revelation 22, 12, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. He said to give every man according as his work shall be. The Bible, dear friend, talks about, dear friend, us doing works for Christ and us getting rewards from Christ and us, dear friend, getting honor from Christ. And I don't know exactly all the honor and all the rewards and how everything's going to be. But I do know this, that it's coming from the king. It's coming from our Savior. The Bible said now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. The be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. He's a wonderful king. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 6, 15, who is the blessed and only potentate. He said the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is the one that's bringing you in, dear friend, into that entrance. It's giving you a great entrance. 
I can't tell you exactly how it's going to be. Never been there yet. But most of us have never been in the midst of royalty. And most of us probably have never been in, around